0: Thanks for worshiping with us. If you have not already, I would encourage you to grab your Bible and turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes and to chapter seven. So here at Redeemer, uh, we are just working through the book of Ecclesiastes and and this is where we are today. And, And here's what I think is really important for us to know from the book of Ecclesiastes. Living in God's world. That's what we're doing, by the way. We're all living using oxygen. Carrying out our days in God's world. Living in God's world is not always a simple, easy, path of least resistance type of reality. Because God's world is a fallen world. And so the book of Ecclesiastes was written by a man named Solomon for the purpose, I believe, of helping the faithful Helping those who know the Lord. Helping those who love God to live in His world in a way filled with hope, filled with joy, and not filled with despair, and not filled with anxiety, and not filled with disappointment. That's what this book is written for. And the path that Solomon has taken is one that might boggle our minds at times. His path toward joy, walks down the steps of owning that the world has fallen and of owning that oftentimes the world is difficult and owning that oftentimes the world doesn't make sense. And this passage is right at the center of that argument for Solomon. You recall last week we looked at chapter 7, verse 14. Actually, verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful. And in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other. Basically, Solomon said the Lord reigns, the Lord created, the Lord is in control. Trust Him. And yet, Ecclesiastes doesn't end there in verse 14. But it goes on. Because Solomon knows that there are things that happen this week that don't make sense. If the Lord is in control, why do good people suffer? If the Lord is in control, why do evil people flourish? If the Lord is in control, why is my life so stinking difficult? If the Lord is in control, Why is my sanctification, my maturity coming so slowly? If the Lord is in control, why do these good things that I set out to do for His kingdom not go well? If the Lord is in control, why do people that just want to build up themselves seem to be able to build up themselves? So this passage, chapter seven, the end of it, the beginning of chapter eight, I've entitled Wisdom for the unexpected. And what that means is Solomon is giving us true biblical guidance for these things in the world that don't seem to be functioning the way we think they should function. And I'm guessing if you've lived more than a day, which I think is all of you checking out this room, if you brought your 12-hour old to church, we should probably talk later. But if you've lived for more than a day, you know that things happen in this world that don't go exactly how you perceive that they should. And Solomon wants to give all of us some wisdom here. And I believe this is the wisdom. Expect the unexpected. Trust in the Lord. and find your joy in Him. Expect the unexpected. Trust in the Lord, and find your joy in Him. That's what Solomon's arguing for today, but you shouldn't take my word for it. So let's spend a few minutes really wrestling through this passage and see if that's what Solomon's saying. So for my note-taking friends, first point, unexpected outcome. Unexpected outcomes. Or perhaps I should say, expect the unexpected. There's, there's a technique that biblical writers use that you were actually taught when you, re, when you learn how to write really overly simplistic essays, right? Like, like this is how you write an overly simplistic essay in the fourth grade. You tell me what you're going to say, and then you only have three paragraphs made up of five sentences, so you have 15 sentences to tell me what you want to say, and then tell me what you told me, right? Like We all learned how to write essays like that, right? That's really bad writing, just, just to be clear. But that's how we were all taught. So tell me what you're going to say. You only have 15 sentences to say it, and then tell me what you told me. Well, often in the Bible, important things get those brackets. They get the beginning and the end. They get the, hey, this is what I'm going to tell you, and this is what I told you and that's called an inclusio, and when you get that, that means like, hey, perk up, because it was important there, and it's important here, and everything in between makes that point, okay? So look at this passage with me. Chapter 7, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. You get that? Psalm is saying... I've noticed in this world, this fleeting world, vanity, vain world, this vapor of a world that does not satisfy my soul, I've noticed that it's often filled with unexpected outcomes. People who are right before the Lord, people who are seeking to, to bear fruit for the glory of God in His ways under His d- domain, face evil and hardship. And I've noticed on the other side, people that just say, whatever, I live for me. I want to get my kingdom as big as I can get my kingdom at whatever cost it costs me seem to flourish. Solomon says this world is filled with unexpected outcomes. So that's your beginning. Now, go all the way down to chapter 8, verse 14 and get your conclusion. He says almost the exact same thing. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of righteous. I said that this also is a vanity. So you see that? Beginning and end, what's he saying? The world's filled with unexpected outcomes. Now you might, like, like, look up, stop looking at the scripture for a minute. By the way, if I ever say that to you again, please, like, fire me, okay? But, but look up, stop looking at the scripture for a minute, and you might expect Solomon to say, this shouldn't be. That's not how God intended it. That's not what it ought to be like. But that's not what He says. He's going to say, here's how we embrace the unexpected outcomes of a fallen world yielding fallen results and navigate them as the children of God. And what He, what he does not say is, make it stop, but He seems to say, unexpected outcomes, this, this idea of righteous perishing and wicked prolonging life, and this idea of righteous not receiving the deeds of the righteous and the wicked temporarily receiving the deeds that you would think belong to the righteous, this is reality. And it's part of this vain, temporary, fleeting, unsatisfying, unable to fulfill our soul's world that we live in. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know most of you by name, my fellow perfectionists out there. Either you are a perfectionist, or you're probably in close relationship with a perfectionist, which makes you scratch your head and go, I can't believe that I, what these people are like. But here's what we perfectionists believe. We believe that if all of you would live, think, act, and do like we do, the world would be perfect. Right? We perfectionists believe that if everyone else would just get on our agenda, our page, our timing, that that really the hardship would go away. Right? I mean, the problem with this church is that you're not all perfect like me. Laugh, please, thank you. That was a joke. I don't want to be destroyed by the Lord in the pulpit. But we all know the mindset. Do the right things in the right ways at the right times and you get the desired outcomes. But the world doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you're making a cake and you put the right amount of eggs and the right amount of sugar and the right amount of flour and you pour it into the pan and the temperature and the humidity outside is just a little bit different and it doesn't get fully done in 20 minutes at 350. And we perfectionists look to the heavens and we decry, why? Right? Because the world's filled with things that don't go the way that we always think they should go. And I believe that one of Solomon's points in this passage is to embrace the idea that the world is filled with unexpected outcomes. Now, we're going to talk about how to navigate those and how to think about those and how to process those, but, but the beginning point, right? Like we say, the beginning is to confess that you have a problem. The beginning point for us Americans who want things to go well and always be easy and want our life with Jesus to be happy and comfortable and blessed and always joyful and always on the surface, the answer to us is to realize that this world is fallen This world is filled with sin and sinful people, and God in His providence is allowing this world to unfold in the way that it does so that we will understand this world is not our home, and we need God's grace, and we need God's blessing, and as long as He leaves us on this earth, this world will be filled with unexpected outcomes. Embrace it. Embrace it. Now, students... Do not fail to do your homework before tomorrow and tell your teacher that the world is just filled with unexpected outcomes. Men, don't fail to mow your grass and receive your, your little fine letter from the HOA and mail in and say, hey, look, the world's filled with unexpected outcomes. Don't go and embrace your sin and say, hey, the world's filled with unexpected outcomes. But recognize that often, righteous people will suffer in their righteousness and temporarily and momentarily, people who are rebelling against the Lord will not be judged. And that's the world that we live in and we're not God and we're not in control of it and it is what it is. So application point number one, embrace the unexpected outcomes that we see all around us. I'm guessing you see them. Am I, am I, am I the only one here that sees these or do you, you see them? Point two. Point two is, is going to help us figure out how we respond to these unexpected outcomes all around us. Point two is going to help us figure out what to do with this. And so, sin, self-righteousness, and fearing God. That's point two. Sin, self-righteousness, and fearing God. Uh, In his book, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller argues that in the Scripture we see three ways to respond to God. And I think Keller's point is made here by Solomon, so we should say that Keller was stealing from the Bible so I can steal from him. I think that's what I'm trying to say. But Solomon is going to give us three ways to respond to the brokenness of the world. One is to embrace our sin and just say, fine, if the outcomes are unexpected, I'll just rebel because we're all going to die and I'll just die. The second way to respond is to say, fine, I'm going to be overly self-righteous and I'm going to make sure that I'm never without error. And the third way to respond is to say, God made me. God knows me. Only God can save me. I'll trust Him, and I'll walk with Him. So this passage shows us three ways to respond to this brokenness, this upside-down world that we live in. Look with me at verses 16 and follow. Now, I'm guessing if you read this passage before this morning, or or if you were hearing it for the first time when Scott read it earlier, verse 16 probably caused you to scratch your head a little bit, right? Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. I mean, most of us probably went, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Then he says, verse 17, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. It's good that you should take hold of this, and from that not withhold your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So what you see in verses 16, 17, and 18 are three ways to respond to the broken world that we live in. One is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Verse 16, when Solomon says, Be not overly righteous and, and do not make yourself too wise, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying don't pursue being like God. Don't pursue being Christ-like. He's not saying don't be biblical. He's not saying don't be moral. He's not saying don't be obedient to the Lord. What he's saying is don't be overly focused on your own right standing before others. There's a Hebrew play on words that we mere people who only read English start to miss out on. But what he's saying is don't be overly focused on always being right about everything. You know that guy, right? Who wants to be around that guy? Yeah, nobody. You know that lady, right? She parents her kids perfectly. She vaccinates her kids perfectly. She has the perfect diet, the perfect meal plan. You know her, right? Who really wants to go to lunch with her? Anybody? So Solomon says, don't respond to this brokenness of the world by by trying to set yourself up as the person who's always right about everything, who's always morally upstanding, who always has the answers, who never does anything wrong. Don't set up a reality where you see yourself as perfect. Because you will be broken when it doesn't work for you. to those who are prone to being overly righteous, we prescribe verse 20. Surely, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He goes on, he says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Do you hear what Solomon is saying? He's saying, look, there is not a scenario where you prop yourself up as perfect and right standing before the Lord and live to tell about it. That world doesn't exist. So don't turn to the brokenness of the world. Don't turn to the unexpected outcomes. Don't turn to the suffering and say, well, if we could just be a little bit more godly, a little bit more moral, a little bit more upstanding, then all the outcomes would go in our favor. If we could just have a few more answers, if I could just explain to you a little more clearly what I'm trying to say, don't go that way. Okay, fine then. I won't respond to this scenario by going the way of self-righteousness, so I'll just do whatever I want to. That's the cry of the millennial heart, isn't it? We'll just do... Hey, I'm one of you too. You didn't know that. You thought I was an old man. Six months, baby. I'm a millennial by six months can't believe I just owned that publicly. But this is the cry of our heart. Well, great! We don't like restraints anyway. We'll just do whatever we want to. It's been the cry of the human heart since the very beginning, since Adam and Eve. Solomon's actually going to go on to say, look, verse 29, God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. What he's saying is, The world has always been filled with people who want their own way and would prefer it over God's way. And Solomon says, don't go that way. Verse 17, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool, that is, spurning God's Word and God's wisdom because it doesn't pay in the long run and it doesn't pay eternally. There's a warning here. Don't go fleeing off into rebellion. For rebellion never pays off. Solomon says, don't believe the lie that rebellion against God is the way forward. So self-righteousness, picking ourselves up by our own moral upstanding and rebellion are not the ways to go forward. What is the way forward? Verse 18. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Now that's a very interesting statement. Read it really carefully with me. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Do you see what he's saying? He says the third way is to walk in the knowledge and the worship and the adoration and the fear of the Lord. That's the better way. The better way is to know God, know His Word, know His ways, embrace them, seek them, and follow them. But notice what he says. That path of fear comes forth from both of them. He says to walk in the fear of the Lord, we have to repent of our rebellion. To walk in the path of the Lord, we have to repent of our sin against the Lord so that we can receive His grace. But he also says we have to repent of our self-righteousness. He also says that we have to repent of trying to prop ourselves up in our own strength as morally upstanding and acceptable before God. He says just as much as we need to repent For adultery, we need to repent by thinking that in the absence of adultery, God owes us something. Just as much as we need to repent of lying, we need to repent in thinking that we can be morally pure with our lips apart from the grace of God. Do you see what he's saying? We must be brought to fear the Lord both from unrighteousness and from sin. But the better way, the biblical way, the way of Jesus, is the way of the fear of the Lord. And Solomon, in this passage, invites us to this better way. This better way of God's Word, God's blessing, God's people, God's Son, God's Savior, God's church, God's kingdom. This is the way forward, and I will pursue it with all of who I am, I will be one who fears the Lord. Now, I just want to pause right here and I want you to wrestle for a moment with what Solomon is saying. I mean, this sounds like a good New Testament gospel of Jesus. Repent and believe lest you perish type sermon right in the middle of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. But what Solomon is saying is, there's three ways to walk. There's the way of self-righteousness, there's the way of wickedness, and there's the way of the fear of the Lord. And the way of the fear of the Lord calls people out of both. So I ask you a question this morning. where do you stand before the Lord? And and in that fearful moment, if you stood before the Lord today, how would you appeal to Him? Well, I live my own way and I'll face what I need to face. We could commend you for honesty. But the Scripture says that it's not going to be a good day. And knowing most of you this morning, that's not the answer I fear. Here's the answer I fear. Well, I've always been a good kid. I've always read the Bible. I've always tried hard to, to love the Lord and love others. Never really done anything that bad. There's always been other people worse than me. I mean, I was at the youth group every time the church house was open. Give faithfully. I even give 11%. We'll take that extra percent, by the way, but that has nothing to do with this morning's sermon. I memorized all of Romans chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I even made my kids do it. One of my sons is a preacher. The other one's a missionary. I mean, mean, you feel the weight of this, right? Because all that stuff's good. Every bit of it's good. But if that's what we're using to earn God's favor, we will perish. And Solomon says we got to be called out of our self-righteousness just as much as we have to be called out of our unrighteousness. Because the way of fearing the Lord is the way of seeing that I'm a sinner, seeing that I have no hope before God, seeing that my church attendance in the ugly cold gym at the YMCA is nothing but a filthy rag before the Lord, and calling out to say, all I have is Christ. So Christian people, church-going people, maybe today for the first time some of us need to realize that all we really have is Christ and put down all the fluff and put down all the stuff around the edges, and put down all the stuff that makes us feel better about ourselves at night, and prevents us from owning up to the difficult, harsh realities all around us, and realize that we're broken, we're sinners, we're faking it, but we need Jesus. and He promises to save all those that fall down and say, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And while this passage never once uses the phrase, the name Jesus, It says to us that the one who fears God shall come out from both unrighteousness and self-righteousness. The way of Jesus is a way of trusting God in everything and seeking to honor Him and fear Him and love Him and serve Him by faith. this is a new concept for you, I would encourage you to write down Ephesians 2, 1-10, the passage Brandy read for us earlier. And go and read it and pray over it and let me talk with you about it. Now, there's a lot of this passage we haven't touched yet. And some of you are looking at your clocks, you're going, oh no. And you should, but I'm going to see if I can catch us up here. Verses 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. Here's what they tell us. Sin is real. Sin is prevalent. And we see it everywhere, including in ourselves. I love what Solomon does in verses 21 and 22. He says, he says, Hey, Be careful not to to be listening for what everybody's saying about you because what you're going to hear them doing is saying bad things about you. They're going to sin against you with their tongues. But lest you get self-righteous, just know that you do the same thing. So he kind of pins us all up to say sin is a huge problem from which we need to know the Lord and walk in His ways. And then... In chapter 8, Solomon is going to tell us that the path of joy and the path of blessing and the better way is to fear God and find joy in Him. And so that's our final point this morning. Fearing God and finding joy in Him. Verse 19. Wisdom, that's God's good way. This third way gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Chapter 8, verse 2. Keep the king's command. Now, by king here, I think Solomon means the appointed king of Israel who represents God's people Currently and physically, follow the one upon whom God's blessing rests. And he's going to flow this argument all the way down to chapter 8, verse 15. And he says this I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him and his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So Solomon's calling us to a path of wisdom, a path of God's people, God's Word, God's ways, God's blessing. And he says, chapter 7, verse 20, Wisdom is better than ten rulers. And then he says, chapter 8, verse 15, joy comes on this path. So here's my invitation to you. Recognize that in this broken, upside-down world filled with unexpected outcomes, the path of walking in God's grace as those who fear God is actually the better blessed path. Joy comes through recognizing that this world will never satisfy me, but the Lord who reigns is with me. Joy comes by recognizing that I cannot create a perfect little utopia that will make me happy, healthy, and wise here, but while I'm here, I can know the Lord and walk in His ways, and that is Joy. Joy comes in the face of hardship knowing that the Lord who gives also takes away and He blesses and He is with me and He will never leave me and He will never forsake me. Solomon is saying, find your joy as you walk in the fear of the Lord. I commend joy. So even though this world is filled with evil, even though this world is filled with injustice, even though this world is filled with hurt and suffering and brokenness, and even though it often feels upside down, leaves us scratching our heads and wondering why, Solomon says, Know the Lord, walk in His ways, and you can find joy here even as you eat. Enjoy this day and this day's blessings as a gift from God as those who fear Him. And drink, and you can be joyful. You may wonder, how do we go from upside down, unexpected outcomes to joy? This is the connection. We who know and fear the Lord don't have to squeeze our joy out of the things of this world. We know that our joy comes from Him. Therefore, even though it's broken and hurtful and unexpected, we can eat and drink and find joy. Let me just give you a few examples. If you believe that your work will satisfy your soul, then the minute that something goes wrong at work, You will either fall on your face in depression, or you will fall, you will stand up in self righteousness and say, I will not rest until I fix it. But you see, work was never intended to satisfy our soul. And when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we can say, I did my best today and I will rest that the Lord is in control and He blesses and He gives and He takes away and I will eat and I will drink and I will find my joy in Him. If you believe that your family, your marriage, raising your kids in the exact perfect way is how you will find meaning and satisfaction and joy in this world every time something goes wrong, Every time a kid doesn't make the all-star team, doesn't get a participation trophy, doesn't make an A, doesn't get good conduct, doesn't have perfect health, you will fall on your face in dejection or you will say, I will Facebook this until I figure it out because my joy comes from the perfect family. And that's an idol. But when we fear the Lord, we can be called out of that and we can say, I can embrace what my family is under the sovereign hand of the Lord and I will walk in trusting Him even though I don't like what it was like today and I can find joy. And we can do that with our church. And I can do that as I think about the nature of Redeemer. We can do that with all of who we are. And so my invitation to you today is choose the better way of fearing God and seek to find joy in Him. Not joy in the ethereal kind of realm of idea, but joy in the for real. Joy in like, I actually have a satisfied soul. I actually feel like God is good and present and with me and He sent Jesus to prove it. I want to invite you into tangible, real joy. Okay, pastor, how do I find that? Run to the Lord. Run to His Word. Run to His church. Run to His people. Run to the places where God is showing Himself and displaying His power because there we'll know Him and there we'll see Him and there we can fear Him and there we can walk with Him. This, my friends, is the invitation from Solomon. I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in all of his toil throughout the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This joy goes with us in our toil. So Christian, toil for your family. Toil for your work. Toil for your church. Toil for your community. Toil for your favorite nonprofit. Toil for the glory of God. Toil to support missionaries. Toil to help others know the Lord. Toil in evangelism. Toil in prayer. Toil in the word. Toil. But know that our joy doesn't come from what we do, but it comes from knowing God and being known by Him. And this is our invitation this morning. Father in heaven. please take these words and as much as they are good, helpful, or right, please use them. Please teach us through them. Please speak to us. Please change us. Lord, I'm praying that in this room people will be drawn closer to You. We'll want to turn away from our sin and our self-righteousness and will want to know you. So lead us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name.